You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's scripture is found in Lamentations 3, verses 20 through 66. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart, or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that bad, good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgotten. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow with, without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird, by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You've seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You've seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of your hands. You will give them dullness of heart, your curse, will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
Uh, my name is Casey. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I happen to know uh, that several of you guys text in church. Because um, two weeks ago, when uh, Kevin stepped in uh, last minute to preach for me, and right uh, within 10 minutes of when he said, hey, Casey's okay, he does have COVID, mild symptoms, I got like 20 texts from y'all. Um, like, are you okay? I know Kevin said you're okay, but he's an optimist, so who knows? Um, and so, uh, man, we're doing well. Um, there's a lot of things we're really, really thankful for. I also could tell when you guys walked in that the Chiefs had won, um, and uh, that's, that's good. Um, and uh, I just want to remind you, you know, when we come together, man, it's just, it's an extension of, of what we feel like the Lord has asked us to do. And when I say the Lord, I mean like us specifically, like Free City Church, but I also mean like, like the Capital C Church. Like the way we describe the Great Commission or our mission is that we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that means in and out of different seasons, through, through wins and losses, that means that we want to proclaim the gospel and to put people in communities where, like, as hard things in life press, God's people are there to press against you or to encourage you. And so here, like, like let's just acknowledge, like, like, there is a lot going on in our world right now. Like, there's a lot going on, and like, you know, the, the danger is, like, when you, you talk about one aspect that something's going on, like, if, if you talk about that more than another aspect, people are like, wait a minute, why did you talk more about that? But I mean, there's a lot going on, like, like Inauguration Day is coming, and like, there's an expectancy of like, man, what is that going to be like? What is the response? Like, we go back to the last Inauguration Day, that was no picnic, like, based on what we saw the Capitol, like, that's coming. You know, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a time that we need to reflect and lament upon, like, a racial past that is undeniable. And it's a time that we should be thankful that progress has been made. And it's a time for sadness that we look at our world and we say, there's more to do. I mean, like, that's, that's a lot in itself there. Today is also, um, um, it's a, a Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's a time where we look at, a, at the way our world has not defended the unborn. It's a time that we look at realities in, in our world that creates difficulties. Like it, it's a time that we look and we just say, like as Christians, like we want to grieve that. We want to grieve the loss of life of the unborn. We also want to grieve a society and situations that put women in that place. Like there's a lot. And, and I feel like the question I get the most is, is are you gonna get the vaccine? And I feel like every time I get that question, it's like, what team are you on? And I'm like, I don't think there's actually a team. There is a lot. And you know, providentially, um, if you, if your Bibles, if you're in Lamentations, if you just look at Lamentations 4, 
Like we're going to spend two weeks in Lamentations 4. And if you look for repeated words in Lamentations 4, you're going to see a theme of the street come over and over and over. And you're going to see a second theme of children come over and over. And we're going to focus on those two things. And on the first one, we're going to talk about the dangers and the death that are in the streets. Not all streets are created equal. And we're going to talk about that struggle and the difficulty and a thing that would lean us into lament and lean us into action when we think about what happens in the streets. And then we're going to spend some time because it talks over and over about, about children. And we're going to talk about like when we refuse to fight sin and we see this so clearly, sin gets shaken down and it bears the weight upon our children. I mean, think about you. Dad, if you don't fight your sin, who do you think are eventually going to reap the consequences of that? If you don't fight for your marriage, like who bears the weight of that? If we don't fight the sins of omission and commission, like what happens with that? And so Lamentations 4, it's going to talk about the grievance of what we see in the street and what children have to deal with. And so much of what I see, and this is just in, in the, the church as a whole, is really what we're going to really focus on right here in Lamentations, is a pulling. What do I do when the things of life press in around me? What do I do? And this is going to say real plainly, it's going to start off at the beginning. It's going to say, you wait, you wait, you seek the Lord, you seek his salvation. And we're going to juxtapose that just a little bit with what we see going on and what messages we see coming from the, the church as a whole in America. And uh, like when I look at this, like it really reminds me and it takes me back to a time like what we see in, in in Lamentations 3 is like, like the dark of night has pressed in and it's like you have this beautiful moment where you know God's mercies are new every morning and we go through that part of Lamentations 3 like verses 20 through 25 and then the darkness sets back in. You know Jeremiah cries out. He talks about the suffering. He talks a lot about the juxtaposition of how God is active in the suffering and what he's doing but then suffering still settles in. It was 1999, we were preparing to party like it was 1999 because the artist formerly known as Prince wrote a song, like we're gonna party like it's 1999. But the reality was, I was a sophomore in college, my life didn't feel like much of a party at all. Like the reality was, like it was a very lonely time in my life. Like I, I was going through a terrible breakup. I mean, it was typical stuff. You know, she said that we should break up, but still be friends. And so I heard, so like, there's still a chance. You're saying there's a chance. But then she started dating one of my friends, which kind of gave me the message, like she really wanted to break up. So I was really confused about it. That felt really lonely. There was also, um, there were some difficult things, kind of um, political, legal stuff going on with, with my family that was pretty public. And uh, man, that was just difficult. I was kind of separated from it, but I was still involved in it. And like, I started looking around and I started to realize like in these moments of not really knowing how I felt about something, a lot of stuff that like, getting stirred up in me. Like if I was gonna describe the best that I could then, like life just felt heavy then. Like things just felt weighty all around me. You know, things felt like really isolated and lonely. There were times that I was just sad. 
Like, I didn't, you know, know exactly why. I mean, sometimes it was because I was waking up in the morning, and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, my girlfriend's dating my friend. And that was sad, you know. But I remember longing, like, I need to talk to someone. But there was so much turmoil in my family, I didn't really feel like I could talk to people in my family. And so then what do you do? You look to your friends, and I was living in a fraternity house, and so like I, I bought friends. You know, I was paying for friends, and they were everywhere. And I felt like there was nobody I could talk to. I just remember feeling so lonely. And so, you know, for about a year now, I had actually been in something crazy. I had been reading my Bible. Um, write that down. Uh, we think you should read your Bible. We provide and make a Bible reading plan. We actually want you to do that. Like we actually, we do that. And so into the year, we're going to read Revelation because it's the end of the Bible. And so, I mean, I, I, you should have read that. Like we actually think. And so for about a year, I'd actually been reading my Bible and I had been reading through Proverbs every day. Like it was probably my third month every day to read a chapter of Proverbs and really it identified like this. Proverbs talks about what a fool looks like and I thought to myself, I don't wanna be a fool so I should probably learn what that looks like and not do that, you know? And so I was just reading and I start to see the Proverbs talk about friendship. I start to see the Proverbs. They talked about friendship in incredible ways. It said things like this, Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times. And I thought, I think I'd like one of those. I, I, you know, Proverbs 18, 24, it says, a man of many companions comes to rule, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I kind of just saw myself, like I looked around my house and I said, man, I have lots of companions. I don't know if I have that friend. Then you read something like a Proverbs 26, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy will multiply kisses. I remember feeling so lonely contemplating on that. Do I have anyone in my life that loved me enough to confront me? Or just like a Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so when man sharpens another. I remember thinking, God, I think you want me to have that. I, I, I think I need that. And so I started praying, God, would you give me some friends like that? And that became a really, like, a present prayer in my life. Like, every day, like, just a little bit, like, God, I kind of reflect on these ideas. I'm like, God, I think I need a friend like that. I think I need to be a friend like that. I think that's how we're supposed to do life together. And I just started praying. And, man, you know what happened next? My sister was in a plane crash. You know, coming out of that season, like I, I go in and I'm working in Missouri. I'm a, a in-state summer missionary, which means I went to a bunch of camps. I talked about Great Commission, Campus Commission Clubs, Great Commission Camp. It, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so I go all over and I get this phone call from my youth pastor. I, you know, I was going to work for my old youth pastor. And it was the first, he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm actually at the camp at the orientation. And I go and I see Mickey. And the first thing I see to him, because I hadn't seen him, is like, Mickey, you still look good. And he goes, Casey, sit down. And he starts to unfold that my sister was in a plane crash in Little Rock. And that she is stable but critical and whatever that means. And then as that summer unfolded, my sister was in and out of ICU and into the fall getting skin grafts and all the political, legal turmoil was still going on in my family. It's like a moment I start to see light and it gets darker. Like, has that, have you ever felt that? 
Like you feel like you have a revelation, like we're starting to turn a corner. This is starting to be better. And it's like you turn that corner and you're like, I kind of wish we could go back. You know, and, and just I, sometimes I, I get this story, I get so excited. My sister survived, she is good. Um, you know, I actually, I told a story about almost drowning and someone was like, what happened? I was like, well, I obviously didn't drown. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> but what happens What happens when you look at your life and it just seems out of control? Like like when the hurt persists, when whatever it is is just too heavy, when you can't get out from underneath it, when the fog of uncertainty is just thick. Like where is God when the answers are not coming and you're not seeing what you want to see? Lamentations 3, we witness two opposite things. At first, we witness a deep, dark affliction and suffering. And then in the same breath, in the same moment, we are described this brilliant light of God's merciful compassion. It says it's new every morning, which means a lot right there. It means you don't get it before the morning. You don't get it before the day you need it. You get it in the moment that you need it. And it says it's new, it's adequate, it's ready. And so we see these two things. You know, a large section of chapter three is Jeremiah reminding himself of what is true in the affliction that he feels, that he sees, that he hears, that he is in. But it's also him reminding what is true about this gracious God that we know. And maybe we should even say this. Sometimes it's saying the gracious God that I want to be there. I've read about him, but I'm not even for sure I want him to be there. And so I, I, I don't have three main points um, for you um, or three questions. I actually am just going to, we're going to walk through this passage. I'm going to stop and explain. I'm going to kind of unpack. And so we're just going to walk through the passage and I'm just going to yell because, I mean, that's, guys, that's what I do, you know? And so we're just going to walk through and we're going to focus on the first part of this. And then we're going to jump. We're going to kind of walk through because I think there's some really practical things we see in the middle. And then we're going to focus really at the end. But like what I want you to see, like I can't give you three points that we're going to do, but I can give you one major overview that I think the end part of chapter three is saying very loudly. I think it's saying and it's asking this question, can you trust a God who hurts you? Can you trust the real God of the universe who will use suffering, pain, affliction, discipline? Can you trust the real God who has promised that he'll make all things beautiful? And then he demonstrated it in the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you trust a God who describes himself as loving and faithful when right now in your life that is not what you would describe? What do I do when the God of the universe hurts me? And so let's get started. Look at verse 20. It says this, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Like 
just three phrases or three words, the steadfast love of God, mercies that never run dry, and faithfulness. Like these ideas come after a long list of sorrows. Like a lot of those sorrows, Ethan unpacked for us last week, like a long list of sorrows. Like in, in, in Jeremiah's mind, there is no doubt that God is actively behind those sorrows. Like there's no doubt that he's saying the judgment of God has come upon his people who continue to sin stubbornly and hard-heartedly. And there's no doubt in his mind that God was in control somewhere behind that. Like if you jump all the way back to chapter three, verse one, it says this. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under, and then describes what it said, under the rod of his wrath. And so the his is God. And so he says, listen, everything that's about to be listed, everything that comes before the mercies that are new every morning are under that heading, the rod of God's wrath. And like, if you just look at it, like if you have your scripture in front of you, you're gonna see these he statements. Like he has statements. I, I counted them. There's 17 he has statements and they're all bad. Like they're, they're, they're all bad, like <clears throat> They're describing failing health, conquering enemies, confusion of what to do, bitterness that just sets in, kind of an encompassing sadness that you can't escape. You know, in, in verse 17, Jeremiah, like look at 17, it says, he had forgotten what happiness was. Like, like a lot of times in, in a broken situation, like we remember the good times, but he's saying like the dark of night that was around him, he's like, man, I forgot what it was like to feel comfort. I forgot what it was like to be happy. I forgot what it was like to sit in security. I forgot what it was like to know what to expect. Like these he has statements. And the question is like, the darkness of that gave way to this steadfast love of God. Mercies that never run dry. Great is God's faithfulness. How do you go from forgetting what happiness is even like to the Lord is my portion, he is enough? Like that, that's a great question, right? Like if you're sitting here and you're looking like my relationships are in shambles. Or if you're sitting here and you're like, my health is worried, or financially I'm in danger, or I don't even know what's wrong, I just know it's not right. And you're like, how do I get to that? How do I get to the Lord is my portion? He is enough. Like I think we start to see it in verse 25. Look at verse 25, it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Like, did you see those words? Wait, wait, seek God, seek his salvation. Like, that see, means if you're in a terrible moment right now, like, the, if you have the Holy Spirit of God and you find yourself in a dark moment, like, the first thing you should do is wait and seek the Lord, seek the God of the universe. If you're confused about what is happening or what is next, Jeremiah says, wait and seek God. Like that means don't, don't run real fast just to seek solutions to alleviate the pain. And I'm not saying you can't look for solutions, but don't try to just be the God of your life and stiff arm God. Wait, what is God exposing you? What is he bringing to the surface? What does he want to do in you? Wait and seek like Jeremiah, he's in, he's in a horrific state of suffering. 
Like, like everywhere he looks, he sees destruction. Like, like he's in a city where people are contemplating eating the dead of their loved ones, eating them because they're starving. He, he's in a city where there's a very real enemy at the gate waiting to come in. He's in a city where like imminent is all the demise all around him. And he says in this moment of the mercies being new in that morning of it is good to wait and seek the salvation from the Lord. And, and like, let's, let's just get, let's, let's get real here. I don't know, and this is like the big C church, I don't know if in our discomfort or our unrest or if I, our confusion, like, I don't know if I've seen a lot of like waiting and seeking from the Lord. I feel like what I've seen is a lot of like drawing lines and teaming up. Like, I feel like I see a lot of like, these are my people who don't do this until they did. Or, or I feel like I see a lot of, you know, accusing and name calling. Or, or I feel like if, if you're presented with something that you don't like, it's really easy to just call it fake news and to shove it aside. Like, I, I feel like I see a lot of quick solutions to escape the moment or accountability or maybe the responsibility. And it comes at the expense of like throwing a them under the bus. Like when I think of just like the turmoil and the repeated nature of what I've just felt. Like, I feel like it's kind of gone something like this. Like, there's been a moment where I'm just shocked. I ask questions like, is this really happening? And, and then that's followed by like a fear. Like, what does that mean? And then it's followed by like an astonishment saying like, is this us or is this still us? And then it goes into like just a sadness as we try to explain it to my kids. Like, I remember feeling that with George Floyd. Like, like, like that shocked. Like, what am I seeing? I, I remember feeling like, like a sadness. Like, is this, is this us? Is this who we are? Is this still who we are? Like, I remember feeling it. I remember being sad because we sat our kids down to try to explain, like, all these protests that were starting, what they were about. And I remember the confusion of my kids. And then I feel like I felt the same thing as an election year starts where I feel like within the church, we resort to name calling. And so, you know, we got one side calling the other side a bunch of like Marxist baby killers. And then we got that side looking at the other side and they're calling, well, you're just a bunch of greedy racists. And like, I, like I'm not saying there aren't elements that we need to address, but I'm like, what happens is the people of God, we started just to kind of like, I'm gonna find my people. I don't know if I've seen a lot of waiting and contemplating, saying, where does the Lord weigh in? What I've actually seen is like a, a, a lot of God's people saying, man, I can't be with you if you're not on my team. And there's a really specific climate of what makes my team. I remember feeling that over and over as like, like Christians have fought over masks. Like, like let's just go, let's think about that. Like, like the same thing, like, like amazement. Is this really the thing? Like a sadness. Like, is that, is that what's gonna define us? Like, is that gonna, is that, like, I, I, I crying, I remember crying in my truck as I just asked this question, will the people of God, anti-maskers and maskers, will they be able to worship God? Will they sit at the same table in heaven? 
And I just, I, I cried because I was like, I can't believe I'm asking this question. And Jeremiah, in a much darker moment, in a much darker place, he says, it is good for the people of God to wait and seek the salvation of the Lord. You know, I, I felt that again with the Capitol protest. The question of, man, is this really us? You know, I sat down in the same conversation with our kids explaining that, and then somehow, because sanctity of, of of, of life, Sunday was coming up. We ended up start talking about abortion and just the confusion on their face about that and the sadness. I was, um, I was still doing student ministry um, and we had a disciple now um, and that's, if you're not familiar with that, it's where you bring speaker and leaders in and you break people up in homes. And, and so, I mean, it's a lot of work to get ready for it. And you have to break up and find leaders for these homes. And man, it's like a rubric to break people up because you're gonna get calls of like, why am I not in this house? I'm like, because there's 30 kids in that house. So I can't put anyone else in that house. That person already hates me. And so, you know, you try to break it up. You try to do it all you can. And I got a call from one of my leaders like Saturday morning and they were like, you're never gonna believe what happened. And, you know, if it's a boy leader, I'm like, nothing can surprise me. Literally nothing can surprise me. But it was a girl leader. It was a really fun group, a middle school group of girls. And they're like, listen, we went to bed last night and everyone was annoying and giggly and they wouldn't go to sleep. And it was just, that's normal. That's like the Holy Spirit moving. You know, that's just normal stuff. And he's like, I woke up and it was like, death, I hate you. You know, one group of girls on one side of the room and another group of girls on the other side of the room. And this is a pretty harmonious group. I mean, it's a big group, but they hate it. Like they, they were like, I hate you. And she's like, they are saying things that we can't repeat because we are in church. And I was like, what happened? And I didn't expect this. My leader said, they played a game. I was like, what kind of game? I mean, like Ouija board? I mean, what kind of game were they playing? And they played a game, and it had some dumb name. It was called like Two Kisses in a Cut or something. But this is the premise of the game, is you say two compliments to someone, and then you say something negative, like a growth point for them. And so, I mean, it starts normally enough, you know. I mean, you say something like, listen, you are such a good friend to me. You've always been there. You're trustworthy and dependable. And then you say, but, you know, you sing all the time and you're really not that good. It's kind of annoying. And so that's okay. But then it escalates a little bit. And it's like, hey, and it gets to a place where it's like, I like your shoes. You've got cute hair. I can't believe Lucy invited you. Nobody wants you here. And then it escalates and it just gets worse and worse. And the thing is, like, I would have expected, like, you know, what happens there is you have 17 girls all in different corners of the room hating every other 17 girl. But that's not what happened. It divided into two teams that were viciously against one another. See, what happened was they thought we're playing a game. And so, like, the rules of words and relationships don't matter here. It's like a safe place where this happens, but yet, like what Proverbs says, you know, Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, it doesn't stop when you say it's a game. And, and suddenly, like, up in front of us, we feel like there's a game in a 
digital media platform and it doesn't matter there. And then we find out we are divided against our friends and our family and we're surprised that the death and life is contained in the tongue, even if you type it. And then we're surprised that people are in different news. We're surprised that these algorithms actually help divide us, that you probably aren't even hearing the best argument from the other side, and you can't escape that algorithm. And if right now, if you're saying, no, I've got the one source of news, you don't have the one source of news. And so I just, the question is, does Jeremiah's lament have anything for God's people today? Would waiting and seeking the Lord, embracing brothers and sisters before drawing team lines, does that have anything for us? Like, as you've been pressed, have you run? As you've been pressed, have you lashed out? As you've been pressed, have you joined teams and drawn lines? As you've been pressed, have those things become more of a priority than Jesus and his word? Like, like as you have breathed in hurt or sadness or loss or whatever you know, this last season has looked for you, have you looked to God in faithful, repentant waiting? See, I think wait and seeking the Lord and his salvation I think that has a whole lot more to do about the Holy Spirit of God uncovering your sin so that you might actually seek salvation than him illuminating the sin of another group or another person. Then we jump into verse 27, and this is gonna be a part that goes pretty fast. You know, like what, what really stands out is as pain steps in, as something is pressing upon you, like we want to escape pain, we want to find a quick solution, but Jeremiah, he says real plainly, listen, what are we to do if we wanna find the, the salvation of the Lord is we wait and we seek Jesus. And so then I just, Jeremiah, he's gonna make some observations starting in verse 27. So look at verse 27, it says this. It says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And, and so I, what that means is like, it's good for you to learn what God is doing when he brings it to you. And so like in, in the same way, like why do you try to teach kids to cooperate with people when you have to share? It's because if they don't learn it when they're kids, it becomes a big problem when they're older. Or, or, or to say maybe another way, like, like why do you need to teach kids? Like when you're raising kids, like, like, you have to, like you need to admit and address the things that you did wrong because if you don't learn how to do that when you get older, you just feel like the victim of everything. You're like, what is wrong with all those people? And what you find is you find isolation and broken relationships over and over and over again. And so like right now, that's not saying reflect upon the, you know, the, the yoke of your youth. Did you learn it? It's saying whatever is weighing in on you now, it is better to address it and to work with it now because it only gets weighter as time goes on. And so what does it mean to wait and seek the salvation of the Lord? It means to confess whatever it is. What has been uncovered in you? A deep suspicion? Like, like a, a, a deep like hurt and anger? Like what has been uncovered in you? And then it says, turn from whatever that is. Don't use it as an ally anymore. Turn from whatever that is. And then to follow the Lord as a trustworthy portion that is enough. To ignore it or excuse it away 
is to choose a costly outcome later. What is the yoke of your suffering exposing in your heart right now? And then we follow, if you look at verse 28, 29, and 30, we see let him, let him, let him. And so three things he says in that waiting, like if you expose whatever the weight has been laid upon you and it's exposing something in you, like he says now three things that you should do. And so it says his, verse 28, let him sit alone in silence. It says don't be lured away by distractions. Don't just get on and look at something else. To numb it out. It says look at it. Like if it's exposed something ugly that's hard, look at it. Sit in silence, wait upon the Lord. Then verse 29, it says, let him again, do you see that? Let him put his mouth in the dust. That's talking about exhibiting humility. You know, maybe that believer on the other side of an issue, maybe they see something you can't see. Like maybe they see something, maybe they hold a value that you would actually agree with if you could dialogue. But you see, if your only dialogue is through like some sort of digital platform, listen, the algorithms are never gonna let that happen. Or look at verse 30, it says, let him, do you see it again? Give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Jesus literally says this in Matthew 5. This is literally what Jesus says when he says, turn the other cheek. This is literally what he means when he says, if you're asked to go one mile, go two miles. He knew it was wrong for you to be asked. He says there's a different kingdom ethic that says, why not rather be wrong? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 when he's talking about grievance and lawsuits among believers. He literally says, why not be wronged? I mean, the picture is Jesus was wronged. Look what God did with that. And so he says, bring in, don't get distracted. Look at what's going on. Try humility on before you go to anything else. And then give his cheek to the one who strikes, meaning, man, is there an equipping of the spirit that you can actually be wronged and be okay? You know, I mean, sometimes, um, and I'm, I'm really... Uh, I'm mostly off social media altogether right now because uh, my, my, my little heart couldn't take it. Uh, no, my big heart couldn't take it, y'all. Um, but sometimes I feel like we've confused the words with Jesus with like the words of Snoop Dogg, like you gotta get yours before I gotta get mine. And I know when you hire a Snoop Dogg, you get Snoop Dogg. We all experienced that. But like, I mean, sometimes I feel like there's this mad grab for all my rights and all my things and I've got to get it before someone else gets theirs. And I just, I, that's not what I just read. And then let's look at verse 31. Starting in verse 31 you know, after we've seen this in suffering, don't run to distractions, uh, sit in humility, turn your cheek. In verse 31, it says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, 
But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. I actually think this is one of the most beautiful sections in all of Jeremiah. Like it's saying this, God doesn't hurt to hurt. He doesn't push away for the sake of eliminating. The grief he causes, the pain that you might feel, the disappointment that's settled in, the loss that you've endured, he doesn't delight in it and he's actually promised that he's going to do something with it. And he actually, the, the overcompassing view of scriptures is that he takes ashes and he makes things beautiful. And in the moment when it's just hard to see how that would ever add up and you're like, man, I am trying to wait. I am trying humility. In the moment when it seems like that will never add up, turn your eyes to the cross of Jesus. Look at the ugliness of that moment and look at what Jesus did. You know, Jesus, when he um, is describing how we should relate to God, he says, listen, in, in, in his prayer, he says, God is like a good, holy father. A father who always brings back, a father who will instruct, a father who's always there, a father that if you ask him for the wrong things, if you keep going from Matthew 6 to Matthew 7, you ask him for the wrong things, he won't give you the wrong things. He gives you the right things. He gives you only good things. He gives you exactly what he needs, and he's very aware of what's going on. And he's not even like dads that we see, even good dads. Sometimes dads, like they just get annoyed and they discipline. Sometimes dads get selfish. Sometimes dads feel threatened by their little kids and want to get even. Like, how sad is that? I'm like, Anna, don't you disrespect me. I mean, how sad is that? Jesus says, God the Father is not like this. Can you see the steadfast love of God's hand in the midst of your suffering? And if you can't, can you wait? Can you seek the Lord in the midst of uncertainty? Can you say whatever his salvation and whatever his portion, that is good? And then we're gonna pick up speed. Like what happens after this is just some observations I wanna point out that Jeremiah makes about God and suffering. And so look at verse 34. In verse 34, it says, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Listen, we're gonna see this a little bit more next week when we're talking about the street. God sees injustice and he hates it. He doesn't approve of it. When people crush or deny others justice, God hates it. When you see in systems, when it's not fair or equity, when it talks about lawsuits here, like when you see that it's not fair, God hates that and so should we. And so it goes on verse 37. It says, who has spoken and it come to pass or came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it, is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? That tells us something else, that, that suffering is never outside of God's grasp, nor is it ever wasted. Like it says, like what has come to pass is not beyond the words of God or the reach of God. Like it's within that. And he's promised, if we look at Romans 8, 28, he's promised somehow I will bring conformity to this. And you don't have to see it right now. Nor should you presume upon it right now. And, and then it goes on. You know, I, I just, I mentioned the Bible reading plan 
And so at the end of the year, we always, we read Revelation because it's the end of the Bible. I mean, that's how that works. I was just reminded that it talks about God wiping away, or specifically Jesus wiping away every tear from your eye twice in Romans 7 and Romans 19. For him to wipe away every tear, he has to be aware of every tear. And so we see the sovereignty of God, a trustworthy father. Verse 39, it says, why should a living man complain? A man about the punishment of his sins. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That just says suffering can be a window into our soul, leading us to repentance. If you've been pressed in a certain way and you have seen a, um, an anger in you, or a despair in you, or a vengefulness in you, or a despondency in you. That is the moment that God is saying, it's always been in you. I actually want you to take that, and I want you to hold it up to me, and I want you to confess, this is real. This is in me. It can be a window into your soul. You know, from verse 41 to the end of the chapter, much suffering and perspective is unpacked. Like in verse 42 or 41 and 42, we see an admittance of corporate sin and guilt. Like we're really gonna pick up that theme in the next two weeks. That means like so many of these things, Jeremiah was actually innocent of them. Like he was the prophet saying, you guys better stop, you better turn around. And yet he puts himself in it. We have done this. And then, you know, in verse 43, it describes God killing without pity. Like it just seems out of control, but he's already said all of this was within the control of God. In verse 44, you know, I, I relate to this. He describes like his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. He's like, do you hear? Are you there? And then verse 47 through 51, we see words like this, like panic, devastation, destruction, rivers of tears and sorrow. And then, Starting in verse like 53, I think we actually see a real picture of Jeremiah. You see, a lot of this he's incorporating of him in the city. Like we see a lot of eyes, like I have done this. And then we see these we's. But all of a sudden when we get to like verse 53, I think it's describing the events, of the actual events of Jeremiah in, in, in chapter 38 of Jeremiah 38, where he is, for, what, for declaring the truth, he's thrown into a dry cistern and left for dead. And from there, I think the words that we get are the words that if we say back to Jesus, you're saved. So look in verse 55 after he describes that. He says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to me, to my cry for help. Calling upon the name of Jesus. Make your prayers known to Jesus. There is no other name by which man can be saved. Verse 57. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. The coming of Jesus, entering into history, going to the cross, is the act of God taking up your cause. Trusting and waiting upon Jesus is how we get to that redeemed life. It's how he starts to work. The idea of redeemed life means trading one for another. Salvation is when you look to Jesus and you say what you did was sufficient and you offer him your life, the greatest things about you, 
the darkest things about you. And he takes them and then he offers you a perfect life that now you can stand with so you can know God again. Verse 59, you have seen the wrong done to me. God is not unaware. If he's gonna write, if he's gonna wipe every tear away, he sees every tear. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. If the coming of Jesus into history tells you nothing, let it tell you this. God sees suffering, responds to suffering, and enters into suffering. God knows. See, if we call upon the name of the Lord, when he draws near, if we offer him who we are and we just say, I'm just going to trust and treasure you to the best of my ability, if we actually wait and seek and we think like the salvation of the Lord, he will lead and he will tell how to act and he'll tell when to be still and he'll actually lead in reconciliation efforts. Like if we actually believe those things and we actually believe that he sees and that he hears, I think a peace of God starts to set in. And I think just a place, do you have that? Is your heart growing more trusting? Is your heart growing more open? Is there a, a, any sense at all that, that the Lord is near? Or is your heart growing more suspicious and dark? Is, are the, the cultural events shaping you? This is the salvation that Jesus brings. And that doesn't take you away from, from cultural engagement. I don't want you to hear that. You know, the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about two big issues of suffering that we see today that Jeremiah, I think, is describing. But we end the service always by taking communion, and it's a way that we say, man, I actively want to participate in what God has done. You know, the beautiful thing about communion is that we come to real elements. Like there's, there's real bread and there's real wine. And it's a reminder that God has come to save the human body as well as the soul. Like you are an embodied soul. And we see Jesus come back. He comes back in a body. Like he's come to redeem all that's around us. And he's asking the church of God to be a part of it. And so when we participate that, we're saying, your way is right. And so we look at the cross and we say, your way was right. You laid down your life that we might take up life and we remember that he had a real body and it was broken and so Christian in communion we remember that the body of Jesus was broken for our sins there was a real sacrament and in a really beautiful way we get to reenact that in a really beautiful way like the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and he wants us to walk in this world in real fashion for good the body of Jesus, broken for you. And then we look to the cup and remember that Jesus' blood was spilled. Jesus really died. So he can identify with us in loss and brokenness and even through death. And he promises that if we die with him, we will be resurrected with him. The blood of Jesus poured out for your life.
Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, Lord, I pray as we continue to look through Jeremiah and we're coming to the, the final weeks of it, Lord, I pray that you continue to drop it. Lord, I pray if there's something stirring in our hearts, Lord, that you would help us center in on that. And Lord, just as obedient children, we would look to you and we would just ask what? And Jesus, I pray that we would find new life. I pray that wounds that have festered, Lord, when we expose it to the light, we would find healing. Lord, I pray that relationships that have been damaged or lost, when we hold it up to the light and we practice humility and we practice like turning the cheek, the things that you actually did, not just the things that you said, the things that you did, Lord, we'd find restoration. Lord, help us, man. It's a big call. We, we would never, we're never adequate people of God, but by the grace of God, we can walk in that and we can be wrong and we can do wrong things and we can come back to you and we can offer it back and we can find reconciliation and hope. Lord, help us in those things. Let us reflect you. In Jesus' name, amen.